0: Welcome to sermons from First Alliance Church, equipping you to become a fully devoted and faithfully engaged disciple of Jesus. Here's today's message. Well, thank you to Keisha and the worship team and to Pastor Nikki for leading us in in such a great prayer. Uh, Hey everyone, my name's Pastor Andrew, I'm so glad You're with us this morning wherever you're at in the world or in your house, whether you're in your basement living room or your bedroom or where you're at in your journey of faith. We're so glad you're with us to dig into God's word and consider what he has to say to us today. Today, as it was mentioned, we're starting a new sermon series. For this summer, we're going to be looking at justice. it, which is a very hot topic today in our culture, and, and we as Christians, as followers of Jesus, need to understand uh, what justice is, where it comes from, and, and what is our role to play in this thing called justice. So I want us to get into God's Word right away, so please have a Bible open with you as we get into the prophet Micah. So open your Bible to Micah. He's near the end of the Old Testament, just a small uh, little book. And we're going to be in chapter 6, verses 3 to 8. Micah chapter 6, verses 3 to 8. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version. And what I'm actually going to do is as I read, I might just orient us to a bit of some of the Old Testament background that is going on that is part of this text, So let's give ear, because what we're about to read is God's word. Micah 6, beginning in verse 3, and this is God speaking to his people Israel. He says, "'O my people, what have I done to you? "'How have I wearied you? "'Answer me. "'For I brought you out of the land of Egypt "'and redeemed you from the house of slavery.'" I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, leaders to lead you. O oh, my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised. Balak, Balak had wanted to curse Israel. And what Balaam, the son of Baor, answered him, that through the sequence of events, he actually ended up blessing Israel. And what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, That is the miraculous crossing of the Jordan River into the promised land so that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. And now it's the people of Israel replying back to God, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And here is God's reply back to Israel through the prophet. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Living God, I ask that you would send your spirit upon us, that the same spirit who inspired the prophet to write these words would now illumine our hearts and minds to open us to your reality, your truth and your will. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As many of you know, justice is a very important idea in the Bible. This text from Micah is basically saying that doing justice is what God wants from his people along with loving kindness and walking humbly with him, that doing this thing called justice is central to what it means to follow God, to be a Christian. And in similar fashion, in our cultural moment today, isn't it the case that justice is such an important idea? I mean, this past year, we've seen a kind of awakening to issues of injustice, police brutality, racism, and racially motivated violence, the egregious treatment of the indigenous people in our own country. I mean, calls for justice are just echoing from every corner of our culture. And all of this begs the question, what is justice anyway? And where does it come from? How do we know that justice is what we should be aiming for? I mean, it's one thing to call for justice but it's quite another to define it and even agree on what we mean by that word. Believe it or not, justice was not invented by the social justice warriors of today. It's not a new idea. It's not even a human idea. It's actually a divine idea. It came from God and it comes to us in the Bible. And let me just say, you might be watching today and you might not call yourself a Christian and you might say, oh, it comes to Christians in the Bible, but actually that's not the case The idea of justice in our Western society owes itself to the Bible. We owe our Christian past, our heritage, uh, with the formation of the idea of human rights, the idea of human dignity, and the idea of justice. Check out what Tom Holland, who is a historian and writer, and no, not the guy who plays Spider-Man, a different Tom Holland, he's concluded that in his work, Check out what he says. He says, today, even as belief in God fades across the West, the countries that were once collectively known as Christendom continue to bear the stamp of the two millennia-old revolution that Christianity represents. It's the principal reason why, by and large, most of us who live in post-Christian societies still take for granted that it's better to suffer than to inflict suffering. And it's why we generally assume that every human life is of equal value. And check out what he concludes. He says, In my morals and ethics, I've learned to accept that I am not Greek or Roman at all, but thoroughly and proudly Christian. This is a non Christian scholar. And his argument is that even though modern society has set aside belief in the Christian God, The fact remains that our moral convictions about the equality and dignity of human life comes from Christianity and from the Bible. Our modern zeal for justice would not be possible if it weren't for the revolutionary ideas in this book and for the revolutionary life and teaching of this man named Jesus of Nazareth. And so we're gonna get into the Bible and consider two questions. What is justice and where does it come from? What is justice and where does it come from? So first of all, there are two key terms in the Old Testament that are important for us. The first is the word mishpat. This is the word that Micah uses in our text. Its, its word group appears in the Old Testament 753 times. And in the Old Testament, it sometimes means retributive justice. So like judging and punishing wrongdoers because that is indeed part of what justice means. But most commonly in the Old Testament, the word mishpat refers to restorative justice. It's about restoring those who have been wronged, addressing the wrongs in society, rectifying injustice, and it often refers to concrete action, action taken to restore people so that they and their communities can flourish. That's mishpat. The other word that's really important for us is the word tzedakah. Its group appears 449 times in the Old Testament. As you can see, these are really important concepts and it's usually translated as righteousness. Righteousness. Tzedakah or righteousness refers to the ethical standard of right relationships between people and God, people and other people, even people and themselves, because let's face it, we can oppress ourselves, and between people and creation. Righteousness refers to the moral framework that God embedded into the world by which we are created to live. And the way we live in the way of righteousness is to follow God's way. So there's mishpat, justice, tzedakah, righteousness. But I don't want us to think these are like two radically different things because our word justice in English and righteousness usually mean two very different things. Justice, we think social justice. Righteousness, we think private piety. That's not at all what's going on in the Old Testament. In fact, these two words are so closely related that in my research and as I was getting into the word studies and reading Bible dictionaries, it was like, what is the difference between these? They often come together in parallel in the scriptures and sometimes they're even substituted for one another. So they're very close in meaning. Those are the two key terms we're dealing with as we talk about justice. So that's all great and heady and conceptual, but let's get concrete. Let's look at some snapshots from the Old Testament that flesh out and unpack what it means to do justice. So in Job 29, Job is the paragon of justice. And check out what he says. He says in Job 29, verses 14 to 17. I put on righteousness as my clothing. Justice was my robe and my turban. And then he gives examples of what that looked like in his life. He says, I was eyes to the blind, feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy. I took up the case of the stranger. I broke the fangs of the wicked and snatched the victims from their teeth. In Proverbs 31 which the book of Proverbs is all about living wisely and righteously, in verses eight and nine, it says this, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute, speak up and judge fairly, defend the rights of the poor and needy. In Jeremiah chapter 22, verse three, it says this, thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness. And then he gives examples. Deliver from the hand of the oppressor, him who has been robbed, and do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the father and the widow, nor shed innocent blood. Again, Proverbs chapter 29 says this. The righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. I mean, as we take these snapshots together, we need to remember there's so much more. And I think even from here, we could, we'd have a 20-point sermon. But let me just highlight a few observations that flesh out what it means to do justice. The first thing we need to mention about the biblical view of justice is the biblical view of Humans. And there's two foundational things we need to know that inform these snapshots and inform the whole story of the Bible about us as humans. First, it's that humans are made in the image of God. That's the opening chapter of the Bible. That when God created us, he actually put something of himself into us that distinguishes us from all other creatures. The image of God It's the image of God that in biblical thought invests human life with a preciousness, with a value. The second foundation is that we are fallen in sin. So yes, we're made in the image of God, invested with worth and dignity and even given a calling insofar as that image calls us to reflect the one in whose image we're made, but In Genesis chapter three, we see that humanity rebels against God. They turn away from God. They say, God, we don't want your definition of right and wrong. We wanna make our own way. And when that happened, sin uh, ruptured the entire world. It it ruptured our righteous, our right relationship with God and to one another and to creation and even to ourselves. and, And it just descends into violence and injustice in the opening chapters of the Bible. That, that's the foundation we need to keep in mind, th- th- that we are made in the image of God, that we are fallen in sin. I mean, the reason why injustice exists is because humanity actually has brought it into the world. So, let's consider a few more specific traits of justice that we see in these snapshots with this foundation of we're made in the image of God and we're fallen in sin. So first of all, justice is about radical generosity. I mean, the righteous in those snapshots from the Old Testament are those who actively seek and contribute to justice through generous action. They give their time and their resources and their energy. They're they're not only righteous because they're saying, oh, hands off, I'm just going to refrain from doing wrong. No, they're righteous because they are active in addressing and healing injustice. Old Testament scholar Bruce Waltke sums it up beautifully in his commentary on Proverbs. He says this: that the righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community; the wicked are willing to disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. That's the core of what it means to be righteous in the scriptures and wicked in the scriptures. That the righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves so that others might be lifted up to to be a blessing and that the wicked are those who are willing to oppress the community, to disadvantage the community, to exploit the community in order to advantage themselves. Justice is about radical generosity. Second, justice is also about communal responsibility. The Bible presents this view of human society that is deeply communal, where there's this web of relationality that binds us together. And I think this really grates against the the modern secular individualism of our culture, right? Because our culture basically says to us, your responsibility is, is to yourself and to your own, right? It's to yourself and to your own. No one expects you to look out for others, And if you do, sure, you're being really virtuous. Uh, You're being a really good person. Like if you give to charity or you volunteer among the poor, like you're totally going above and beyond. But it was not a responsibility. It wasn't your moral obligation to do so. But in the Bible, the righteous are those who know that they have a responsibility, a moral obligation to the community in which they live. That it's not just to me and my own, me and my group, but that it's to the whole community to step into the gaps and alleviate injustice. This is really challenging. This is really different from what we live and breathe each day, that we have a communal responsibility. And let me just say, really practically on this issue, One of the most practical ways we can start to uh, accept the fact that we have communal responsibility is to get informed. To get informed about the injustices and the issues that are at play in our city and in our society. I mean, I don't know about you, but I can name the plots and details of like 10 different shows on Netflix. But sometimes I read the news highlights and I'm like, that's going on in my city? What? And I don't even know what's going on in my backyard. I don't know about the, the human trafficking going on in my city. I don't know about the lack of affordable housing that is part of the reason why the poor just stay poor. Or I don't know about the racial profiling that happens in, in our foster care system or in the police system. Right? One of the most practical things we can do is, is get informed, to know the story, to know the issues that are at play. Justice is about communal responsibility. And obviously there is more, but this is the last observation we'll make today. Justice is about courageous advocacy. Proverbs 31, as we read earlier, it says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Speak up for the voiceless. Speak up for those who have no power or clout in society. Advocacy is one of, again, the most practical ways we can spend our social capital, Right, whatever power or influence you have in society, to advocate for the poor and the disadvantaged is one of the ways we can spend what is to our advantage for them. And here's the thing, it's not lost on me that when it comes to justice and injustice, we in the church can often be uncomfortable with the idea of speaking out. We don't want to rock the boat, or we we want to be perceived as you know calm, cool, and collected. We want to have it put together, or we hesitate sometimes to speak out for others because uh, we're afraid we'll be associated with that group, uh, or that somehow if I speak out on behalf of another group, it means I implicitly believe and adopt all their ideas and what they believe. That's just not true. There are all kinds of reasons we stay silent. But remember that the righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves in order to advantage the community. And that's not just talking about money. It's talking about our image. That's talking about whatever um, image of respectability or put-togetherness that we're holding on to, maybe a bit of an idol in our hearts to be perceived a certain way. Are we willing to sacrifice that picture? Are we willing to sacrifice our coolness in order to do justice? And here's why advocacy is so important. Again, here's why the call to justice and the call to righteousness actually goes beyond just not doing injustice, especially in advocacy, we see that silence about injustice is not a neutral thing. You might think, oh, I'm not gonna speak out on that. That doesn't mean I condone it and affirm it, but that's actually not true. Silence is a vote for the status quo. Silence is a vote for the status quo. To say nothing is, in fact, to say that you're okay. You're okay with the way things are. Martin Niemöller, I think I'm saying that right. Martin Niemöller, maybe I need to say it more German. Uh, He was part of a group of pastors in Nazi Germany, who opposed Hitler. And he authored these very famous lines while he, he reflected on the injustice uh, of the Nazi party that spread and, and leaked into German society as a whole as people refused to speak out. This is what he says. He says, first they came for the communists, but I did not speak out because I was not a communist. Then they came for the trade unionists and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for the Catholics and I did not speak out because I was not a Catholic. And then they came for me and there was no one left to speak for me. It's a sobering thing to think about how the silence of the church in Nazi Germany or during the transatlantic slave trade, or during the residential school era in Canada permitted injustice to continue. Advocacy, speaking for the voiceless, is crucial to doing justice. It's part of the picture. So that's a sketch of what justice is. And again, there's so much more we could say. But let's talk about where it comes from. Let's talk about where it comes from. As I mentioned, justice is not a human idea. It is a divine idea. It comes to us from God, and it comes to us because God is just. Justice is rooted in the character of God. In Isaiah 30, verse 18, it says this, yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion for The Lord is a God of justice. The Lord is a God of justice. It's an attribute of God. Justice exists and takes shape in history because it is the outworking of God's own character. Check out what Tim Keller says. He says, biblical justice is not, first of all, a set of bullet points or uh, rules or guidelines. It is rooted in the very character of God. And it is the outworking of that character which is never less than just. Justice comes from God. It comes from his being just. And, and what we really see today in the modern hunger for justice, I think, is, is really deep down a, a hunger for God. It's a hunger for the God who is just and from whom justice emanates. God is the source of justice. And in the vision of the Bible, he is the only one who can bring it about and will bring it about ultimately. That's what the kingdom of God is about. It's about God sending his own son as the king who comes to bring everything under his good and just rule. And he has inaugurated, he has begun that kingdom in his life, in his ministry, in his death and resurrection. And he will come one day again to bring it to its fullness. Justice is about the character of this God and what God wants for the whole earth to come under his reign, because he's good. And that's what he is at work doing. He's rescuing the world from sin and evil and injustice. So coming back to Micah chapter six. The issue in Micah is that God is just, like we said, justice is about God and his character and he chose Israel to be his people and he entered into a covenant with them before they had done anything great to deserve it. He just chose them and said, you're gonna be my people, I'm gonna be your God, you're gonna take care of me, and you're gonna obey me. Sorry, I'm gonna take care of you, and you're gonna obey me. You're gonna follow me and reflect me. You're gonna show the world what I'm like. You're gonna show the world that I'm just and good and loving and holy. That was the job, that was the duty of Israel, and they had failed. They had failed. They worshiped the idols of nations and along with that came the oppression of the poor. It came, uh, with that came the worship of profit, uh, the sacrificing of righteousness for self-gain. They were meant to be a conduit of God's justice in the world but failed. And our tendency when we fail oftentimes is to work, to try to make it right, to earn our place back before God, using religiosity and religious behavior, good deeds, going to church, being nice, sacrificing. Look at the reply of Israel in verse six. That's exactly what's going on. With what shall I come before the Lord? In other words, what can I give to God to make it right? What can I give to God to make the sin of my soul right? Thousands of rams, I mean, that's a lot of rams. Thousands of gallons of oil, like rivers and rivers of oil. Or or can I sacrifice my firstborn son to make it right? I mean, this is extreme religiosity. This is God, uh, what can we do? We'll give you everything, we'll give you anything what makes us right before you? And it is not our religiosity. It's not our sacrifices or our work. And it's not even what comes after in verse eight. It's not even the doing of justice. Yes, the text says, this is good. And this is what God wants from us. But that's not what makes you righteous. It's not what makes you stand before God in right relationship to him. Friends, it's verse four. Check out verse four with me. It says, I brought you out of Egypt. It says, I redeemed you from the land of slavery. Redemption means that God ransomed them, that God paid the price for their freedom from slavery. And in those verses, verses three, Four and five, God is saying, "Remember how I rescued you from Egypt. Remember how I gave you leaders to lead you. Remember how I turned the curse of Moab into a blessing. Remember how I brought you miraculously across the river Jordan." And check out the end of verse five. It says, "This so that you might know the righteous acts, the tzedakah, of the Lord." It's not about our righteous acts. It's about the righteousness and righteous acts of God in redeeming us. Justice is not a new kind of works righteousness. Doing justice is a response to the gospel of grace. The God who chose us and redeemed us and is with us, this text in Micah is pointing us to the cross, which alone redeems us and makes us right with God. The whole thing about being righteous in the Old Testament actually points to our great need to be made righteous because we can't do it. We're sinful through and through. We need a redeemer. The bottom line is this. Redemption is the basis for the requirement. Redemption is the basis for the requirement to do justice. He says, what does the Lord require of you? That's the requirement, but redemption is the foundation. The reason we can live generously and disadvantage ourselves to advantage the community is because God has disadvantaged himself for us. He came down into our poverty and lostness. He, he associated with us. He, he rescued us when we did not deserve it. And even when we were set against him, that's what he's done for us. He's made us righteous through the cross of Jesus Christ, his son, and he's given us the righteousness of Christ. And now, Friends, this is such good news because the call to righteousness and to do justice is effectively a call to become what we already are in Christ. It's the outworking of God's character in our lives. As the Spirit sanctifies us, that means cleans us up, as God convicts us of sin and and ways that we're complicit in in injustice, the call of the gospel is to become what you already are in Jesus Christ, and that is righteous by sheer grace. And, And so, friends, this means as you go out from here and think, oh, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? The first thing to know is that we don't work towards righteousness. We work from it. We're not working towards righteousness, we're working from it. We do justice not as a way to make ourselves righteous, which by the way is kind of how it works in the world. Rather we do justice from the righteousness that is already ours by grace through faith in Jesus. That's such good news. It's the grace of God that empowers the doing of justice. Redemption is the basis for the requirement because he's redeemed us. He's brought us into his family, and now he calls us as his people, redeemed, to to go out into the world and like Israel, only now with the means to do it, the life of Christ himself and the Holy Spirit in us, he calls us to go out into the world and show the world what he's like. That he's good, that he's just, that he's loving, that he's holy, that he is making all things new. So church, would we rest in this gospel of grace as the foundation, as we consider what it means to live justly today? Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you. I thank you for the good news that while we were stuck in sin and evil and death and and couldn't but do injustice, you came and you rescued us. God, that you you rescued us from slavery, you've redeemed us from the pit by your grace. And thank you that now you call us to walk in daily repentance and to welcome your spirit to form your character in us that we might reflect you to the world. Oh God, do this in us, we pray, that we might be a radiant church that speaks of your love, that shouts your love, that embodies your love to a world that desperately needs it. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more on us as a church and ways to connect, please visit us online at firstalliancechurch.org.